Welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and this time we have a stellar lineup of players and coaches heading to Milan for the next gen finals or Turin for the season ending Nito ATP finals. We hear from Frederic Fontaine, coach of Felix Oji Aliassim, whose run of 16 straight wins was finally brought to an end in the semi finals here in Paris. Lorenzo Musetti, Jack Draper, Frenchman Jeremy Chardy, and more. But we start with the final and champion of the Rolex Paris Masters. Three years ago, Holger Rune was a 16-year-old hitting partner for Novak Djokovic at the Tour Finals. Today, he played his first Masters final against the six-time Paris champion Djokovic, and he did the unthinkable. He beat the great Serb to win the biggest title of his young career. A quite remarkable conclusion to a remarkable week in Paris for Holger Rune. He's beaten Djokovic, the six-time champion. A first Masters title for the teenager from Denmark. A fifth top ten win of the week. And tomorrow he will be a top ten player himself. Incredible, incredible drama. And goodness me, he has earned the applause this week. And all this after saving three match points in his first match. He's won in two hours and 32 minutes. 3-6, Well, Holger, huge congratulations. You're a Masters 1000 champion, but not only that, you've done it by beating Novak Djokovic in his house. Tell us what it means. Yeah, it means everything for me. It's a perfect way to, you know, finish this tournament. And uh, I'm super proud of myself and I just can't thank my team enough and, and everybody who supported me throughout the week. And to be able to share the court with Novak, who's always been so nice to me and is an incredible player, incredible fighter, incredible person, is, is a privilege for me. So I can't thank him enough for the fight and I wish him all the best. It was a phenomenal match and it all led to that final game. You saved six break points. I mean, how tough was that final game to get it done? It was the most stressful game of my life. I, my heart was almost in my brain. It was uh, crazy. Um, uh, I didn't know how I, I came through. I was already thinking about a tie break because he started off so you know cold in that return game, just making them, making me play every point. And I really had to win it. And I'm super proud and, and that I could finish it 7-5, yeah. You finish the year here in Paris. You're 10 in the world. You're going to Turin as the first alternate. I mean, you must be brimming with confidence. Give us an idea of how confident you feel right now. I'm feeling lovely, to be honest. You know, it's a, it's a possible best feeling, you know, to be able to be one out of Turin. And, uh, you know, if you told me this four weeks ago that you would, you know, be top 10 and be one alternate for the Masters final, I would be like, what, sorry? <laughs> but now I'm here, so I'm, I'm super proud and I just can't wait for some rest now. But yeah, I mean, I, hopefully I'll, I'll get to play. Congratulations once again to Holger Rune. Novak Djokovic will lick his wounds and head to Turin in search of a sixth Nito ATP Finals title. Rune will join him there as the first alternate. There was big news on Saturday as Carlos Alcaraz, the world number one, withdrew from Turin with an abdominal muscle tear, meaning Taylor Fritz took his place in the top eight. And as things stand, Holger Rune and Hubert Hercatch are the alternates should anyone else pull out. Runa now rises to 10th in the Pepperstone ATP rankings. It has been an incredible rise over the past couple of months. And I spoke about that with his new coach, Patrick Moritoglu. I think a few guys have this uh, potential to become Grand Slam champions. And in general, 
those guys go extremely fast. They climb the ranking very fast, uh, especially up to a certain level. After that, of course, it starts to be uh, more dense. The, the quality is so high after that that it's in general not as fast. There are some exceptions. If you look at Carlos Alcaraz, is an exception. He went all the way to the top extremely fast. But I guess that Holger uh, has what it takes to become one day a Grand Slam champion, and that's why he climbs the rankings so fast. He has the self-belief, an incredible determination, a love and a passion for the game that is also huge, and, uh, and he's prepared to do what it takes, even if it's extremely painful, to achieve his goals. And uh, we, we all know that he was, in the past, uh, in the early past, still struggling with uh, his emotions during the matches, uh, going through a lot of different emotions, and this was uh, penalizing him in terms of quality of play. And uh, he understood that he had to solve it, and he made all the efforts. And so far, uh, it makes a big difference. That's not on the only thing that makes a difference, but this plays a big role. So my point is that he's ready to do what it takes, even if it's extremely difficult. Talk to me about his game. He's got so many weapons. What are his biggest weapons for you? I would say he has extremely fast hands. Fast hands. And thanks to those very fast hands, he's able to serve extremely well, uh, hurt with any shot, whether it's the forehand or the backhand. And we've seen today that he's also able to return extremely fast on, on very fast serves. Uh, so this uh, ability to be so fast here makes a big difference. To point at one shot is difficult because, as you said, he has a lot of weapons. He's also an incredible athlete. He's super fast on the court. I would say if I have to point to one weapon, I would say his mindset. His mindset. And he's able to change his mindset in one second. You know, you speak to him and you see in his eyes, boom, he's ready. So this is really special. And the biggest improvement he's made this year? Uh, I think he's, uh, the way he holds his emotion during the matches, I think that was a, a key. He's been able to play very well in Rangaros, even though you had a lot of uh, emotional ups and downs. Um, but uh, he also lost a lot of matches because of that. And, uh, and the fact uh, and that, I mean, from outside, everybody was saying, oh, I mean, this guy cannot hold it, etc. And, and he proved every, everybody wrong very fast, very fast. That's super impressive. Holger Runa's indoor win-loss record this season is second only to Felix Auger-Aliassime, who lost to the Dane in the semi-finals here, but may benefit from a bit of rest. His coach, Frederic Fontaine, explained to Jill Krabus how his recent 16-match winning streak might just have stemmed from a moment of failure a little earlier in the season. Felix lost to a dropper at the US Open first round, so we had time to... Yeah, three almost three weeks to, to work on, on his tennis on his, on his fitness and was uh, in one way was good because it's difficult now uh, to, to find those three weeks uh, during, the, during the year and we took this um, advantage to work you know uh, te- technically and tactically and physically and, uh, and of course going to the Davis Cup to play some matches at the same time and he get the confidence beating Alcaraz you know uh, and also Kekmanovic. 
and uh, I think that those three weeks uh, was a good starting point. So after that match with Draper, what did you think, okay, this is what I want to focus on after that match? Was there something in particular that you knew right away because you had that time to work on specific things? No, we knew that uh, before that uh, what are the points that we need to uh, to work on, you know, uh, with Felix, so just we had the time to, to, to do it, yeah. And then also, he went to Labor Cup as well. He was a huge factor <laughs> there, obviously. How much, what experience was that like f- for no, him? For Felix, it's very good because, uh, you know, he played uh, good players. He was like with uh, like champions, like, uh, and also with Johnny Mack, you know. It's yeah. always good to take, uh, to have some discussion, you know. Uh, he told me that it yeah, was very, very positive. And of course, because he, he beat Djokovic, you know, right. it was good for his confidence also. And he liked to play for uh, for the teams, you know, like in Davis Cup or for Lever Cup, uh, so it, it was like a kind of boost of confidence, mm-hmm. and I uh, know the, the, the things were matching well. And he, he tends to love that big stage like that, and feeds off the energy from the crowd. Obviously at smaller events, how can you harness sort of that energy to bring it to the court for you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, of course Felix now is, is playing in a lot of center court, so he is used to, to bring himself his energy. But we, uh, as a team, we need also to, to put this intensity because uh, you know we are traveling all along the year with uh, with the player. And we, we we have to bring this energy, you know, to be behind him, you know, to to, to help him to find this intensity. Mm-hmm. So that's the yeah what uh, what is important for Felix yeah, because he's an in- intense player. He needs to, to bring yes. intensity. He's an aggressive player, so it's important. To I've noticed in particular for me when I watch him, from when I watched him a few years ago when I first saw him, he is being a little bit more animated. Was that something that you felt like you wanted to bring out in him a little bit more, or did that naturally happen? Yeah, it was something that uh, we were feeling that it was important for Felix, because once again, it's uh, he's an aggressive player, you know, he's athletic, you know, uh, when he shows this athleticism on the, on the court, it's very positive, because it's going it's going to match with his game, you know, like going forward, going to the net, so that's why you need to, to show uh, those emotions. Yeah. yeah, and you had said previously that you feel like he's one of the most talented players that you've ever worked with. Um, what in particular, before you got together as a coach-player partnership, what in particular caught your attention from him in the beginning? No, of course, yeah, uh, he's a very athletic player and uh, the physical quality, you know, he's, uh, he's fast, you know, he's, uh, uh, also he has the endurance, he's very explosive. But then in second is also this, his maturity, you know, coming from his education, because now I know more, of course, uh, the parents, you know, Sam uh, and uh, and Marie. So it's uh, they they were like the two for me. The two are really like uh, strength in Felix, mm-hmm. the maturity and the, the physical capacity. So you, do you communicate with the parents a lot, like week in and week out? Yeah, of course we are we are a good team, you know. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Sam is, is there. Marie also was there in Rotterdam when Felix won his first title. Yeah. No, it's very it's a good alchemy with everybody. Yeah, and obviously you work also in a team with Tony Nadal that he was brought on board. How how has that partnership been, the communication? No, yeah, we took, we decided to took Tony as a consultant. Now it's now it's two seasons now we are going to, to be with him for two seasons. So he is he, coming for several Grand Slam and, and few tournaments. But I will say that it was really important to bring that experience, you know, for Felix, but for me also it was good to, to have like an external eye. And uh, and because Tony uh, uh, of course, he has this big palmarès with his uh, with Rafa, 
but it's also a good person, a good value. So it's uh, some, somebody that we can really work, you know, in confidence with uh, somebody like that. And uh, no, so it's great. Me, I, I am in touch a lot with him, you know, after the match, like this, we can discuss. And, uh, it's a really uh, important um, external advices advisor, yeah. and so how did he change your eye in particular would you say because you're a very experienced coach as well has worked with a lot of players so how was it different f- for you in particular when you say he changed your perspective no I, I mean it's like uh, I will say that it's sometimes it's of course he's, he's bringing some points you know in, in terms of like a, a technical aspect uh, which are interesting but m- but also like in terms of uh, simplicity you know, to, because sometimes because you of course, Felix wants to, to win his first Grand Slam. He wants to, to, to go to uh, yeah, as high as, as is possible. But sometimes you, you think that you have, you, you have to do complex things. Mm-hmm. And Tony is bringing us like this simplicity, which is uh, really uh, important. Yeah. And also sometimes to just confirm that you, you are doing it in the right way. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, as far as these past three weeks that we've mentioned, which were just phenomenal, because obviously a lot was on the line to try and make Turin. To handle that pressure, knowing that, did you guys talk about that beforehand? And I mean, how did he get in such a good mental space? Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, of course, we are like in a sport of uh, of results. Yeah, we need some results, right. so everybody knows that. But at the same time, uh, we need to focus on the process, you know, on the, the methodology, you know. And uh, we see that uh, Felix and uh, and I, we, we are like uh, really focused on what, what he needs to do to perform. You know? And uh, I think it's something that he's doing better and better. That's why he's able to, to maintain his level uh, match after match like those last weeks. What do you think are the most important things for him to be able to need to perform consistently? Yeah, now because we, he knows that he has the, the shots to beat anybody, which is the case. You know, he beat Djokovic, Alcaraz, number one. So he, he has that. So it was like to... To, um, to have like uh, to be more mature in the game, to find the, uh, to play the, the right shot at the right moment. Mm-hmm. This is the the, the, the alchemy that he, he, he found like the, 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 this year, of course, last year, but better and better. And also to bring this mindset on the court, uh, to mindset to be really focused, you know, on the, uh, every point, uh, every shot. And physically, he's a great athlete in great shape. He doesn't look like he's ever going to get tired. But now it's been a lot of matches back-to-back now um, and sometimes that can affect you mentally too right physically um, how is he, how are you guys going about to be able to maintain because you were mentioning the calendar in particular right how it's hard to maintain that no we say of course uh, Felix has a, a great he's a great athlete and so that's uh, this is the first reason and then of course after it's like the work that he's doing uh, with his team you know uh, physio the fitness coach that uh, all along here we, we have to to be pre- prepared for those moments because it's uh, really like when you are going to win a grand slam the intensity uh, is going to be at the top i mean he's made such a push what are the goals now as far as developing more of his game would you say or yeah i will say now the, you know that yeah the, the, the puzzle is there you know the puzzle of his tactical game the id game is there so it's just like to to be more consistent and to you know, to, to the next step of course we will see uh, yeah, the next step is to, to go further all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and even when you are number one, right. to continue. So yeah. uh, to continue to uh, to to, uh, to work on his tennis. Uh, there's a lot of aspect aspect that uh, you can uh, you can work on. You know, even mm-hmm. now Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, they are like great example that you can always improve.
One storyline that captured the imagination in Paris this week was the prolonged goodbye of Gilles Simon. Having announced earlier in the year that Paris would be the final event of his 20-year career, the 37-year-old former world number six beat first Andy Murray and then Taylor Fritz before eventually losing to Felix Auger-Aliassime. When we spoke afterwards, he was tired, emotional and content. Well, I was just empty. <laughs> I, I really gave everything I had. And, yeah, I was kind of relaxed. I had the chance to uh, uh, win two matches uh, before, which was a very good news. Uh, very good win with Andy. I think even a better win against Taylor after with a, with a crazy match. And today I tried again, obviously, to push as much as I could, but the body was not responding at all, especially the left leg. <laughs> it's still not there. I don't know what happened. Um, and, I, and I really tried, but I felt I really felt I had nothing anymore uh, until the match point <laughs> when I really want to put that body in. But, you know, like the whole body just <laughs> completely uh, disappeared in the in the last in the last moment. And I say, okay, it's over, uh, finally, and I was just, yeah, I was okay with it. And this incredible career, 20 years, can you sum up what it's meant to you, this tennis life? It was just my life, it's as you say. It was, I was uh, always willing to be a tennis player um, since I'm maybe six years old. I always enjoyed to play. Uh, I wanted to be professional. Uh, first time I was watching tennis, it was here in this stadium. So that's why, that's why it was very important for me to have the chance to finish and have a workout here to, like I felt, okay, this is complete, you know, now. And so tennis was just my life until now. So obviously there is the family also, which is a big part of my life, but this is my job and this is also what I am. You know, I'm a tennis player since ever and not anymore, not tomorrow morning. Yeah, well, I'm intrigued to know, what, what does the future hold when you say to yourself, I'm a tennis player and then I'm not a tennis player? What does the future hold? Well, I'm lying a bit because in my head, I'm still a tennis player. I feel I will always be a tennis player, but it's just that I'm not able to play anymore. It's too painful. I'm not at the level. The guys are too young, too strong, too whatever. Uh, so, but that's why I stop. I stop because I'm not able to compete at this level anymore. But in my mind, yeah, I've been living with tennis all my life and, and, and this is how I feel. But I'm also very happy now that I stopped to be able to enjoy all the things and especially first as a big first priority, the family. Uh, when you play that long, um, I had my first son when I was 25 years old. I didn't see them enough, you know, so I really need to stay home the next years, enjoy the family as much as I can. Uh, try to catch up <laughs> a little bit and then I have time to do something else. While Gilles Simon's retirement from the game captured the hearts of the French public here this week, another Frenchman was busy working behind the scenes. Jeremy Chardy has suffered with illness and injury in recent times and is only just starting to make his way back to full fitness. He spoke with Jill Krabus. This moment made me realize how much I love the sport mm -hmm. and uh, how much I love the game. And uh, 
you know, it's always the same when we are every day uh, practicing at tournaments. Sometimes, you know, you, you can complain or you don't realize how lucky you are. And uh, when you stop your career or when you're injured or you cannot play, yeah, all the players, I think, realize, like, we start tennis when we were kids because we love the sport. Uh, it's our passion. And uh, and I think it's good to, to realize it. And uh, I think the young people, like, when I talk to them now, I, I told them, like, uh, you have to be in your goal, practice, practicing hard every day, but you have to realize how much you love the sport and it will help you to to practice even harder and maybe achieve even a better career or better goal. And I can already see talking to you that you sort of had that mentor about you. And I know you're here at the Paris event helping a couple of the players has you're, you're working with Umber, is that correct? Yes. Anybody else, or just with Umber right now? Uh, no, just with Hugo. I, uh, I did one month uh, <laughs> before um, Roland Garros with uh, Alexis Popirin, mm-hmm. and uh, I did this this part with him. And after Wimbledon, uh, uh, Hugo asked me if I can help him um, until the end of the year, and uh, it was really nice. He's uh, it's a different experience because, mm-hmm. the, you know, when you are on the other side and <laughs> you become a coach. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you about that. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, it's like really different, you know, yeah. because when you are a player, you like you are on the feeling, on the next point, the next match, and uh, when you are a coach, you have to think more of the preparation, the the goal for the game, how to improve, and uh, you have to. For sure, you want to win the next match, but you you have to to build the game for the, the next month, mm-hmm. the next years, and uh, and it's different. The the pressure, everything is completely different. But uh, but I love it. I realize too that uh, <laughs> it's not only about tennis, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the emotional part. <laughs> Did you do you get nervous when you watch when you're watching um, Umber? When like when we practice well mm-hmm. and uh, I know he's ready, yeah. I'm not so st- stressed because I know we did the job. Mm-hmm. And after it's up to him, you know, I'm not on the court. He he has to take char- charge, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just here to support. For sure, when he's tight, I, I'm nervous, <laughs> <laughs> and even more because you cannot do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, but I think for the coach, the, the preparation is more important yeah. because when you you do the thing right mm-hmm. and you know your player is ready, mm-hmm. you have much more, much less pressure. Much more relaxed. It's actually pretty cool that you get this opportunity because it's not common that someone who's still an active player gets to have a moment to coach and then go back and play again. Has that changed your perspective of your game in particular at all? I think you know <laughs> when I was a player. I'm still a player, but, <laughs> but when, before that moment, I didn't watch tennis that much. And um, and uh, since I started to to coach, uh, I watch video of tennis all the time, uh, matches. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I'm always looking for him to improve. So um, I look video of the best guys and uh, and. Uh, I'm much more into tennis than now I'm coaching than <laughs> when I was uh, playing. You know, because when you, you're a player, like, you focus 100% on yourself and uh, you're a little bit selfish yeah. when you're a player. And, uh, and I think it's good. If you want to be really good, you have to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when after you're a coach, you have to care more <laughs> about your player yeah. and uh, think about him. And, 
and uh, yeah it takes a lot of time because uh, the, the, it's not only the court when you're a player you do your practice and you go home and most of the time it's finished you know when you're a coach you you work <laughs> more after the practice yeah. to, to to prepare to to try to improve and uh, also it's, it's the beginning for me <laughs> it was the first time so um, I want to do like really good because I'm a winner on court and, uh, and uh, when I'm <laughs> coaching I want to win that's my only goal so when you watch those videos for the first time is there anything that surprised you or stood out to you that you noticed right away that ha you hadn't noticed before with because mm. you've seen all these players play before but now you're looking at it with a more critical eye right yeah, like, yeah, now when uh, I'm watching tennis, like, uh, I'm always looking at everything, technique, uh, footwork, and, uh, but if you look at the best player, uh, at the end of the day, they have a different game style, but all the the basic, like, footwork, uh, technique, preparation, uh, is, like, really similar for everybody. You, you cannot be at the top of the game if you... If your technique is not clean, if uh, if your footwork is not good, it's impossible. All the guys are playing too good, and if you want to to be good, like Roger, Novak, Rafa, like and play for 20 years at the top, you you have to to be perfect on everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and they are, and uh, I think because of them, the the tennis is the level of the tennis is so much better and so much higher uh, because they, they push everybody to be better they mm -hmm. push themselves to be better and uh, and now the I mean the level of tennis is really good at the moment mm -hmm. I, I mean that's something that I think has stood out to everybody of how strong everybody is now how much stronger and faster everybody is you've had the opportunity to play everybody the big four beat Federer and Murray in particular um, what what do you feel like is so important now for you when you come back that you feel like to be able to push yourself to get to that to get to that stage, uh. or what impresses you about about the game now in the top? The live uh, for me the the level of the the top hundred or top two hundred is much higher. Yeah, you know? uh, like. Uh, the guys are playing really good uh, physically everybody is really good really fit uh, everybody is playing fast the only big difference for for me is if you take my generation and the new generation uh, i think we understand better the tennis uh, and we are smarter a little oh, okay. bit on court How because, so? uh, because i think now they they play so fast mm -hmm. that the tactic is is lost a bit yeah a little bit lost okay. like when you uh, when I was young and all my generation they, you, you know you, they, um, you you learn how to to play and the shot the angle the tactic more the tactics change rhythm now the guys are playing really fast and a little bit all the time the same you know and uh, for me I think is why the the old guys still can beat the younger one because they can find a way tactically to oh, uh, interesting. to yeah. to change the game especially in the five set match yeah. and, uh, for me that's why like Rafa Novak uh, are still winning this uh, Grand Slam because in five sets uh, you still have you always have time to change tactic and to find a way to to change uh, the, the game and you can hear an extended version of Jill's chat with Jeremy this week on the podcast channel.
With Turin very much on the mind, time now to bring you the second in our Champions series. This time, ATP Uncovered have been speaking with the winner in 2005, Argentine David Nalbandian. It was a very strange tournament for me. Um, I didn't expect to go because I was, I think, nine. So I have to go lucky loser. Uh, tournament director um, called me and said there is a chance that uh, I think Andy Roddick pulled out. And you have to come and say, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go to a Shanghai to don't play. No, but he, he's going to pull out, so come, you're going to play. All right, so I was almost, uh, almost uh, fishing on vacation with my family and friends, doing the, the luggages to go. And I say, okay, guys, I have to change the luggage. I have to do a, a tennis, uh, tennis luggage to go to the tournament. So here we are, the start of what will be a very busy eight days of tennis. Roger Federer, the defending champion, takes on a man who has had the better of him on more occasions than he has, David Nalbandian of Argentina. I went to Shanghai to Lucky Loser, and um, see nice get there. I lost with uh, Roger Federer first match. Federer in defense of his title makes a good start. And I didn't feel that bad. I feel a quite, quite good match. Then, day after day, I start feeling better and better and better and start winning with, a, of course, with a big players or good players on, on, on the week. That's it. So the lights obvious as far as Albanian's concerned. Through to the last four. He's done it. David Nalbandian finds himself in the final. Face the defending champion and world number one, Roger Federer. Meet Roger again in the finals, and it was very incredible being losing the first, the first match and be on the finals same week. So here we are, the very last match of the 2005 year, the final of the Tennis Masters Cup here in Shanghai. Roger Federer, the world number one, against the number eight seed from Argentina, David Nalbandian. Was losing two sets to love down, 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, and, and I say, I, have, I can win this, this match because I lost in tiebreak both sets. And it wasn't that far, the match was very, very close. And I keep believing in myself, and I say, keep pushing, let's see what happens, and I start playing great tennis. Well, there's that moment of brilliance we asked for. Oh, what a beautiful shot. Now, Bandian believed again at last. In the end, we, we play another tiebreak in the fifth. And I say, all right, I'm already lost two tiebreakers. Two tiebreakers. I'm not going to lose this one. That is the more important one. It's all over. who becomes the first Argentine to win this title since 1974. I play a great tournament. It's give me a confidence. Um, uh, next year I'll be, I, I was number three, so give me a very good ranking as well. 
in good position for the Grand Slams to be seated. So no, it was great. I mean, everybody, everybody remembered that tournament because I was fi almost fishing before. <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's a good one, very good one. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Turin is not the only Italian destination at the end of the season. The country also hosts the world's finest under-21 players in Milan this coming week. And amongst them is the home favourite, Lorenzo Musetti. I'm working really hard, especially with, with my team. I consider them like a, like a family, like a second family. Um, and uh, I think we we grow each other uh, even with the, with my coach with my fitness coach it's uh, it's since I'm like nine that we, we are together so we, we share a lot of uh, really good moments together and we we are uh, uh, you know discovering new things every day and uh, getting the experience you know inside every day so i think the the my grow it's uh, step by step not too not too fast not too slow so i'm on uh, on a normal way so i'm kind of uh, uh, proud of of that uh, rise i i mean i see you've mentioned that your coach and also your grandfather's been a huge influence and mentor yeah. for you. What are the biggest things that you remember that have really stuck with you to be able to continue to have that progress? Uh, you know, I have uh, a lot of uh, great memories about the, especially my, my grandfather. Uh, he was really a an honest man and uh, with a lot of good values uh, that uh, he probably uh, I think uh, I, I'm trying to to be as him because uh, uh, he tried to transfer me all the all the passion that he had for the for his work for 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 the life for the family, and uh, I'm trying to uh, you know uh, to be like him in the in this kind of uh, feelings, and uh, I think this thing it it helped me a lot during the. Uh, the practice and during the the match, because you know, having a, a balance in your head, it's uh, it's something that when you are like under stress, under pressure, uh, for sure, uh, trying to be patient and calm, uh, for sure it it helps you to to achieve what you what you really want. You talk about balance a little bit. It's so important in tennis to have that off court on court balance. Is there stuff off the court that you like to do that help you? Have that balance when you go on the court. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of things uh, I would like <laughs> to do, but we, you know, like you know, probably better than us that we don't have like a lot of free time. But um, I, I really have a small group of friends, um, like uh, we are six, and uh, we we are really close, and uh, they they support me every day, every every match. They 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 are the first one, even. Um, even sooner than, than my family, they, they text me. And uh, this kind of relationship, even outside the course, it, it, it really helped to me to, to, to be um, uh, calm and patient even uh, when I'm far from home. And of course, I, I really like listening to music a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind it, of music? I like even old stuff, like yeah. uh, from 80s, from uh, 90s, uh, especially rock, uh, because my father was a, a huge, is a huge fan of uh, of uh, old rock music. Mm -hmm. So I, 
I grew up uh, with this passion too. I also um, collect some vinyls yeah. and uh, some labels, so I'm I'm happy with the with my culture, with my music culture. <laughs> so when you come to tournaments like this, do you try and make an effort to try and find the vinyls or vinyls? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I, I I try now a little bit uh, a little bit less. But there was a period where like last year in Vienna, I, yeah. I bought like five. Yeah. So I I have. Uh, I mean, music uh, has a huge influence on uh, on Lorenzo, so on me, and uh, I'm uh, I'm happy of that because uh, music, I think, it's a, it's a really nice passion to have. What would you say you listen to before you go on the court, or do you? I, I usually have my pre-match playlist that's like more uh, uh, rock or uh, rap, a uh, little bit of motivation uh, for the walk on on court and. Uh, you know the pre-match playlist. It's uh, it's really a, a focused one, but that gives a lot of energy and motivation mm-hmm. to to prepare the match at, at its best. Yeah. Okay, last question, because we're talking yeah. about next gen, and I know it's very close to your home. Your second consecutive yeah. year. How exciting is that for you? We have a lot of family and friends there. I'm assuming. Yeah. You know, playing in front of such a big crowd. Um, it's tough for one way because uh, you know you can feel the pressure. But uh, for the for the other side, it's really emotional and really uh, really nice to have uh, all the crowd uh, on on your side. And um, I think uh, it's uh, it's a really a big event. And uh, uh, I think Milan is the is the right city to uh, to propose this uh, this next gen event because you know Milan has a. Uh, I think it's one of the best cities in Italy for the modernity and the news and uh, the technology. So I think it's a, it's a good compromise of uh, of both um, sides, and I'm I'm really looking forward to play yeah. there. Lorenzo Musetti speaking with Jill Krabus. He is delighted to take his place in Milan, and so too is Jack Draper, the first Brit to play the Next Gen Finals. Draper's has been a rapid rise this year. He started ranked 265 and is currently just outside the top 40. So what's been the biggest difference? Chris Bowers asked the question. I think there's there's so much to it. I think the main thing for me has been about staying injury-free. The last few years I've constantly been injured and had to be off the court, um, off the practice court and the match court. So getting that consistency this year of being on court more and, and having more trust in my body when I'm competing has been the main thing. Obviously, there's still a long way to go, but I've always known that my tennis ability is good enough. It's just been about, yeah, staying on court. What have you had to do in particular to make sure that your body does hold up? Just just train more, get my get my training right and, and understand that I don't need to work hard all the time. You know, it's been about trying to manage my body in a way which is smarter, not harder, if you know what I mean. So... I used to play a lot of tennis all the time, but I didn't mu- used to spend much time in the gym. I didn't used to do maybe the smaller things to to help me be the athlete I wanted to be. So um, I suppose it's just been about working smarter, not harder. There are plenty of players who are motivated by the wish to hit tennis balls and work out a tennis match and who don't like the gym work. How have you been able to enjoy that part of tennis that's clearly very important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously I love tennis and stuff, but I do I do embrace the gym stuff because I know that it's gonna it's gonna pay off on the tennis court as well. You know, if I if I'm able to to be strong off the court, then it's likely that that's going to transfer and help my tennis a huge amount too. So I suppose doing the stuff in the gym and, and working hard on that, even though it is um, painful at times, you know, it's um, it's going to have a huge benefit to me on the tennis court. 
And when you get results like the win against Tsitsipas in Canada and Ogele Asim in the US Open, I mean, is that what tells you you're on the right track or are they often less obvious wins which allow you to really use the work you've done in the gym to get to victory? Yeah, I mean, I think every win on tour is is a good win for me right now because I'm I'm new to all of this and there's so many amazing players out there. Obviously, these guys are a top ten for a reason. They're, they're special players, um, and it's been been great to beat them. And the confidence I've taken for that is is huge. Um, but I know that even though I've, I've I've played them and I've I've played well, I've still got a long way to go in terms of my physicality, in terms of how much I'm I'm learning to be better. So I'm looking forward to to keep on getting those challenges. Everyone says you have a huge game and clearly you hit the ball very hard, but mm. that's the modern way. Do you take that as a compliment or do you feel that there are aspects of the more subtle part of your game that you need to work on? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a big compliment when people say I've got a big game. I wouldn't want to play someone with a big game, but at the same time, I do have the attributes to, to be an all-court player as well. I'd like to think I'd be good on a clay court, grass, hard, whatever it is. You know, I, I feel like I can move well. I feel like I've got a lot of skills. Um, and I think when people play me, maybe they realise that it's not just all a big game, that I can I can do do all the stuff around that as well. As a British player, you're obviously from a Grand Slam nation, but there's tremendous pressure, especially come the grass court season. How do you handle that? I suppose, uh, yeah, you just can't think about it, to be honest. I, I always speak to Andy and I said, how have you done what you've done? You know, this is, is incredible, you know, that level of, of pressure. Not only that, but the fact that, there's so many players in the draw who are who are incredible players, um, and I suppose you just got to keep your head down, not think about it, and just put in the work to hopefully get you to the stage where you can can compete and do really well, regardless of any pressure. Has Andy given you any specific pieces of advice that help you negotiate? I mean, unless you've been in Britain during Wimbledon, it mm. is absolutely mad the mm. the media storm around players, especially promising British players. Yeah, I think, you know, in my discussions I've had with him, I think he said that when he was younger, he wishes he, he enjoyed the the important moments a bit more. He wishes he had a bit more, more fun with his tennis. But I, I always say to him, well, if, if he didn't, then maybe you wouldn't be where you are now, you know. So it's definitely a balance, and I think everyone's different. So um, I'll take my experience from this year, and hopefully next year I can I can be a bit better again. Because your first time on centre court was against Novak Djokovic, mm. first day of Wimbledon, and you took a set off him. I mean, yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a bit of a blessing. Maybe I got Djokovic when I did at an early age like that to, to see the centre court to play against uh, one of the greatest players of all time was um, definitely definitely a, a really big experience for me. And um, I think from that moment, it's de- definitely helped me mentally to, to cope with certain situations I've been put in. And you're the first player from Great Britain to reach the next gen that's a fairly major achievement. Even though the tournament's only been going since 2017, nonetheless, it's a great achievement. What does that mean to you? I think it, I think it shows that I've been consistent throughout the year. I think it shows that uh, I've been a been a real um, real good competitor this year. I think it shows that I've done, like I said, consistently well, and that I'm one of the best under 21 players on, in the world. So um, I think there's lots of amazing young players out there. So I, I suppose it's a compliment. Um, but I'm looking forward to going and playing the event. I've been watching it the last few years and I set myself the goal at the start of the year to try and try and make that. I think I've maybe got lost along the way a little bit because other players are playing well, but it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Jack Draper and Lorenzo Musetti among the favourites at the next Gen ATP finals where some other young players will be looking to make a real name for themselves this coming week. Among them, the first ever Swiss to book a place there, Dominic Stricker.
Chris Bowers has also been speaking with his coach, Sven Svinnen, and started by asking about the moment the player first caught his eye. Well, actually, I know him already uh, a long time ago. Uh, I'm working at the Swiss Federation, and then uh, I met him already when he was like 13, 14 years. Uh, and then uh, I saw him play the first time. Then uh, it was always funny to see how, how, how nicely he can uh, hit the ball already at this young age. And then uh, he came uh, two, three days per week. He came to the Federation. And then uh, when he was getting older, he, he came like daily. And now uh, since a couple of years, I'm taking uh, care of him uh, uh, alone, one-to-one -one, basically, and uh, traveling around the world with him. He puts on his website that you once played Roger Federer, as if that is the biggest thing that you can give him, the, the knowledge of playing Federer. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that always comes up, obviously. You know, uh, I went to school with him for two years uh, when the Swiss Federation was in uh, Equiblon, near Lausanne, so uh, that's why uh, everybody knows a little bit the story that we practiced there for two years, and uh, that's coming up uh, all the time, of course, yeah. That was the time when Roger Federer was particularly homesick, did the rest of you try and help him through that period? Yeah, I, I remember one episode where, where we were uh, uh, bicycling home from uh, from our practice there and then he was uh, really sick of it. Uh, you know, he was like, I've seen it here, I want to go home back to Basel and practice there. Uh, and that was a tough time, so I was. I told him, yeah, no, then I would be all alone. Wouldn't be fun either for me then, so I hope you stick around. And uh, I'm glad he did, and we had a good, great two years there. And then after his first year where he was struggling a lot, he basically took off and, and never really looked back. And honestly, did you think at that stage that he would be as good as he's proved to be? No, I don't think that nobody uh, saw that, that coming. You know, we all thought, yeah, he's very talented. You know, he has a good hand and everything, but nobody uh, was expecting a career, career like that. But, I mean, you were there with Christophe Freis and Pierre Paganini, who actually worked with Roger throughout his career. So it's not just chance. You, you were around some very, very good people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there was a great time there also. When uh, then, then I was 14 years old, and we moved uh, to the French part of Switzerland. Uh, we had some great uh, coaches over there. Also, learned a lot from them. Obviously, also as a young kid already. And then, uh, yeah, and then I went my my way with uh, U.S. college afterwards. And then uh, I started pretty soon uh, working at the Swiss Federation as a coach. And so, now with your role with Dominic, he's done incredibly well since being a top junior at the end of 2020 have you been surprised at how quickly he's made progress yeah i mean uh, it helped a lot that we had this uh, challenger in switzerland you know where, where we were able to give give him a wild card and there uh, it was obviously great that he uh, came uh, from nowhere almost you know well he he won the juniors but it uh, doesn't mean a lot yet obviously when you turn pro but then uh, with the wild card he was able to to win the, the this challenger in lugano and uh, yeah made a lot of points and moved up the rankings quickly because one of the questions I asked him was whether he felt that winning Roland Garros, making himself a Grand Slam singles champion, whether that adds pressure. How do you see it as his coach? 
No, I don't think so, that it added a lot of pressure. I mean, it was probably more uh, gave him a confidence boost. I would say, you know, uh, he, he felt more comfortable uh, how he how he's able to play. Uh, and, became more aware of his game style, how he can beat uh, those top juniors, and then uh, he trans- transformed that uh, pretty quickly uh, at the pro level also. What's the best thing about him and the worst thing about him? I think for his height, he's serving pretty well, so uh, that's where we also put a lot of focus. Uh, he's 1 meter 83 which used to be about middle and is now on the small side. Yeah, exactly. So uh, for his height, he's, he's doing really well on, uh, on his serve. Uh, that's what we've been working also a lot, and I, and I like to to look at his strengths. You know, uh, keep uh, keep the focus more on, on that. You know, not not focus too much on his weaknesses. Of course, you you also have to to work on the weaknesses sometimes. But uh, we try to keep improving his strengths. You know, keep uh, mixing up that serve a little bit, so that he really gets unpredictable uh, on his service games. He seems a very happy young man. Is he? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, that's uh, always uh, great to, to work with him. Uh, most of the time he has a good attitude, uh, likes to, to make his jokes also. But then uh, obviously uh, have to, uh, sometimes you have to uh, get him back a little bit uh, to, to not uh, make enough uh, jokes around on the practice court especially. Then off the court, uh, I'm happy that he's uh, such a happy person and uh, just sometimes on the practice court you have to be uh, a little bit more strict and, and keep, uh, keep the focus on, uh, on the things you have to improve. He has gone straight from the juniors onto the tour and he's now well into the top 130 less than two years after leaving juniors. You went the American college route, which a lot of people are doing these days. Do you Can you weigh up the pros and cons of going to college in America and not going to college in America? Yeah, it's tough to say. I think for every person it's a little bit different, you know. For the for the top juniors, you know, when you win the Grand Slam, maybe sometimes it makes more sense, you know, they're, they're in the flow, they, they want to go pro, uh, that's what's on their mind, and then it makes may, maybe more sense for them also to, to go uh, that direction right away, and then uh, some kids, you know, they, they like to to be sure to have an education, you know, and then I think the U.S. college way is a, is a great way also to to to, to perm pro uh, afterwards or or after one two two years of experience in the college to go pro then. So there, uh, I mean, there is not an advice for everybody. I think everybody has to look at themselves and find the best solution for them. Did you discuss the college route with Dominic? No, with Dominic, not really, no. For, for him, he, he was doing uh, the school in Switzerland there a little bit. You know, it wasn't really uh, on his mind, you know, and then he did really uh, well on the juniors, and then it was more the, the question, you know, uh, should you keep going to school or not? And then uh, in his last year, uh, they decided, okay, uh, we're going to stop with school, make a break, and then uh, it was the right choice, I think, at the moment, and uh, that's uh, where, where we're at right now. How good can Dominic be? I think he has a, a great potential, you know. Uh, it's You never know how far it gets, but I'm sure uh, he can soon uh, be able to crack the top 100 and then you have to start to set new goals and then hopefully he can go uh, up the ladder from there. It is all set to be another electrifying event and I'll be back here next weekend to round up events in Milan And look ahead one final time to the big one, the Nito ATP Finals in Turin with the players and coaches. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.